Oh yeah, back at it again. It is the Questions Hip Hop Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Kantrowitz. We took a little break last week. We didn't take a break. I took a break. You might have experienced the break, and I apologize for the break. I just want to say that whenever I miss a week, even though I am in no way obligated to do this, there is no commitment that I have signed, nothing that I have committed myself to doing in advance. But when I miss a week, it's not just in that moment that I feel bad about missing a week. I actively feel regret for every hour of that week. That, that's what's happened the last week. I just was walking around in my life, busy as hell, doing a whole bunch of things, and in the back of my head, just thinking, man, I didn't do an episode of the podcast last week. Gotta, gotta, gotta rectify that. Gotta make things right. So I appreciate everybody's patience. I appreciate it. Most of you probably are saying that it was all good. Maybe you didn't even notice. I mean, I know some of you noticed. I get messages from people, but uh, things got real busy. And uh, I'm not going to get too super into it. If you are a member of the Patreon, I've talked about a little bit about some of the projects that I've been working on. I'm going to try to keep a little bit of a distinction right now in between questions world and this other world. But I'm sure eventually things will start to spill over and I'm excited for that to happen. But I'm not totally revealing all of that yet. So things got busy. I had to take a week off. Uh, I did some cool things during that week off, though. Uh, And when I say week off, I should say I was not kicked back, you know, relaxing. I was running around doing a lot. Uh, I got to go to the Mass Appeal Hip Hop Till Infinity Museum. Uh, It's located at the old Amoeba Records on Sunset. And I went Grammy weekend Uh, for a celebration that was happening there. It was like the honoring of 100 producers, hip hop producers, and they put their faces up on this big interactive wall. And I got to go check it out for a bit and it was pretty dope. I definitely wanna go back when there isn't a special event because I feel like I didn't really get to take in all of the museum, but I will say that the exhibit itself was really dope. And if you're in Los Angeles, you should definitely check it out. I believe it's there until March 17th. There's a lot of photos, uh, pictures, interactive. Um, there's like interactive uh, like exhibits that you can walk in and there's equipment, memorabilia. They got a banging ass gift shop, which my game is in. And it was funny, I went there and my friend Dan, who invited me to this event, He was in the gift shop when I walked into it. He was like, yeah, they don't have your game. I was like, really? He's like, yeah, they they sold out of it. Because I had seen other people post photos that it had been there earlier. That They saw the Questions Hip Hop Trivia card game that I published last year. And apparently they sold out of it, which is not a bad thing to, uh, it's not a bad problem to have. I was checking out everything else. I saw DJ Khalil, the legend, super dope producer. He was there. I went up to introduce myself, or I was introduced by my friend, Dan, who I was just talking about. And he said, I know you, the questions. And I was pretty, uh, it was a pretty cool moment to uh, have him say that because I respect him and his work so much. I semi-remember that he had been in the chat uh, during some of the IG Live days. I think uh, the Jake One episode in particular was one that he said that he was there for, but it was really dope for him to recognize and uh, share that he had checked out some of the show in the past. So shout out to Khalil. But anyway, everybody dispersed in the shop, and then I was still there, and I wanted to just make sure that they were going to reorder my game. I didn't think that uh, they wouldn't, but, you know, being there, Grammy weekend, the place is crawling with hip-hop enthusiasts. I'm like, man, I wish I wish my game was here. You know, I want I want people to, to enjoy it, and I want people to be able to pick it up. So there was one woman working there, and she was helping another customer, showing this customer around. And I sort of was then awkwardly hanging out in the shop, waiting for her to get done, making it seem like I wasn't waiting for her to get done. But really, I was just 
like stalking. So as soon as she was done, I could go over and ask her what the deal was with the game. So I'm looking at t-shirts, I'm, you know, flipping through books and kind of in the corner of my eye watching. And finally she, she's done with the customer and I walk up to her and I said, Hey, um, excuse me. Uh, I, I believe that you were carrying my game. Uh, and she said, yeah, it's, it's on reorder. Like she's a little, she's a little annoyed. She's a little peeved. And I was kind of thrown off by that because this is, I, I hadn't said anything to her. And so I say, okay, cool. It's on reorder. Well, let me know if there's anything I can do if you need me to nudge the publisher. And she said, hey, it's on reorder. Okay. She, maybe she didn't say the okay part, but she was very annoyed and she didn't, she wasn't trying to be conversational about it. And she kind of zipped off. And I was like, that was weird. And so I went back into the museum and I told Dan when I ran back into him, I was like, you know, the woman working in that gift shop, she seemed a little curt, a little short uh, about this. Uh, and I, I was a little confused as to why. And he was like, oh, because I had been bugging her uh, <laughs> for the last 10 minutes before you walked in about the game. I was like, hmm, okay, makes sense. So all that is to say, go check out the Mass Appeal Hip Hop Till Infinity exhibit it is going to be there until March uh, 17th, I want to say. Um, it's really cool. I've heard um, for people who had gone to the New York installment last year that uh, they've improved some things. It also leans a little bit more West Coast, obviously, because it's in Los Angeles. So you should definitely go check that out. Uh, what else can I tell you before we get into what this episode is going to be? I had alluded to the fact that there was going to be an event that happened last week in Los Angeles. That event did not happen. I kind of had a sense that it wasn't going to, but might be doing it at the end of February. So still not prepared to make an official announcement, but I'll just say that there is going to be, if all goes well, we're going to do another Jay Dilla themed event uh, we did it last year at Delicious on Sunset, not too far from uh, the Hip Hop Till Infinity exhibit that I just mentioned. But um, yeah, we you know we had a great time last year, and we're looking to do something for Dilla Dilla Month, do another Dilla themed game and experience at the end of the month. So stay tuned. Trying to button that up. Trying to figure out the logistics. Make sure that it all goes well. You will all be the first to hear about it when it gets announced. Um, and speaking of Jay Dilla, this episode, as you might know from reading the title of this episode, is a solo installment. We're doing a making Dillmatic. <laughs> we've done making Illmatic. We've done making Tipmatic. We've done making Doommatic. This is a making Dillmatic. And what I am doing in this episode is I'm going to be running through 10 of what I feel are the most underrated Jay Dilla productions. These are not necessarily my favorites. I'm not saying that these are the best above all others, but these are the ones that I think are the most underrated ones that need to be celebrated, talked about, and enjoyed. And what better month to do it? I mean, you can listen to Jay Dilla all month. I know that I do, but everybody's in a very Dilla-esque mood. February being a big month for Dilla, his birthday being in February, as well as the anniversary of his unfortunate passing, would have been 50 years old this year. So when we come back from the skip, from the break, from the theme, we're going to get into making Dillmatic top 10 underrated Jay Dilla joints. Who did it first? Who did it best? Who did it worst? That's the question. That remix and what happened when? That's the question. And if you ain't know what needs, then my guy's knowing what you need. Some answers to the questions. Hey, before we get into this episode, I want to give a big shout out and plug to Dan Charnas's Dilla Time book. This book uh, came out in 2023, I want to say. Wait, let me let me confirm. Let me double check. Um, 
The book was actually published in 2022. My mistake. The first paperback edition came out in 2023. If you all have not already read this book and you are going to listen to this episode, I would say that this is something that you absolutely need in your life. Dan has done a masterful job at running through the history and the legacy and the impact of Jay Dilla as a producer, as a figure in hip hop, uh, as a contributor to the music and, and the way that music changed is, is, is very expertly outlined in this book. And I'll have to say just on a personal level for doing this episode, I know the Jay Dilla catalog very, very well. It's been something that I've been listening to almost all of my adult life. And it was really handy to have his book in preparing to do this episode because it has a compendium of the entire discography uh, in there. So it was a quick, easy reference. So many, many reasons why you should pick up Dilla Time if you have not already. But if you want to do your own podcast and you need a quick reference guide for all of the catalog and discography it's got that right in there. Very dope. That hardly should be the reason why you pick up the book. It's just an excellent book, but I can't say enough good things about it. So go pick up Dilla Time. It's available wherever you get books. It's really, really, really good. And I'm looking forward to the film adaptation of the book, which I believe might be in production right now. I can't fully say. I'm not super in the loop on it, but I believe that when I talked to Dan last year, he had said that they were about to start moving forward, but we'll see. So top 10 underrated Jay Dilla joints. I'm going to go in chronological order here on my list. So number one, 1995 off the far sides, second album, Lab Cabin, California. I'm going with drop. Now, you might say, how can a song that is a single that has a legendary iconic music video directed by Spike Jones, incredible backwards motif, and probably one of my favorite music videos of all time, you might be saying, how could that be underrated? And here's here's the thing. When people think about the far side in Dilla, I think that there is a tendency to sing the praises of Runnin', which was one of the other singles off of Live Cab in California, and to say that that one is one for the books. Well, you know, that, that that's a classic song, and it is. I'll say this. I think that Runnin' is a better song than Drop is. But in terms of the actual production and the ingenuity of the techniques used to make the beat drop is kind of insane. And in Dan Charnas's aforementioned book, Dilla time, he spoke about how this was an older beat. This was not something that was necessarily made for the far side in mind, but this was back from like beat battle days. And apparently Jay Dilla and proof from D 12 and a Detroit ambassador of hip hop, they had sort of co-produced the song or proof had been uh, around during the making of this song, but the chop and the way, you know, here's what I love the most about Jay Dilla. There are so many different techniques that a producer can use when making a beat. And a lot of times producers and artists and musicians will sort of lean on one specific trick or technique and in examining the catalog of JD's production, he never really leaned too exclusively on one thing. He really had a very evenly distributed, textured, nuanced approach to making beats. And with Drop, 
it has the swing of the drums, which I guess you could say was most frequently a calling card for Jay Dilla's production. But the way that the sample is used here and the fact that it's like the reversed sample, reversing samples is such a crazy cheat code and it can be so easily done, but just because something is playing backwards does not mean it's going to be dope. And so the way that not only was this sample chopped, by the way, I'm not talking about actual sample sources in this episode. I'm I'm going to take a break of what we normally do in the like digging in the crates around and not sample snitch per se here. All this information for the most part is pretty much out there. So you can find it if you need to, but the way that this sample was chopped and then used in reverse creates such a sort of surreal, slanted, off-kilter vibe that was perfect for The Far Side and this album. Again, I'll say I understand why Running will get more accolades in the greater public forum because I do think that Running is technically a better song. And by that, I mean it has a chorus. It has more of, you know, some some calling cards of like songwriting, the way that the verses are all just pretty much the guitar sample in uh, running. And then that bass comes in on the hook and it has the sung chorus. Like, yes, that is a better song, but in terms of just like style and sort of demonstrating like the, the personality and the rhyming ability of the members of the far side drop is super dope. And again, as a producer, you live for those moments where you hear something and you're like, how the fuck did this person do this? How was this made? How, how was this pieced together? I don't understand. I know I like what I'm hearing, but I don't understand what I'm hearing. How did he do this? Jay Dilla is the king of the how did he do this moment in, in listening to hip-hop beats. And Drop is hands down one of those moments where there's just not a lot of beats that sound like it. And that, that gets it points for me as well. So beat number one, production number one is the far sides drop track. Number two, again, stop scoffing backpacker. I know that you're going to be, wait a minute. This was another one that had a music video, obviously hundreds of thousands of dollars at least were put into the promotion of this song. But again, this is an underrated song and I'm going to explain to you why I'm going with a tribe called quests once again off 1996's beats rhymes and life Action peoples cannot dominate. My rhymes are harder than last night's erection. Don't blame it close. I have this mic up in your midsection. My shit is love, simply meaning that my joint is. Now, look, we've talked about it, and it's been talked about that Beats Rhymes in Life is obviously a demarcation in the, in the overall canvas of Tribe's catalog, right? This was a moment that marked a departure for the group in terms of their sound, in terms of their internal dynamics, the way that the group members were getting along or not getting along, to be quite honest. And for many, the introduction of JD to the collective that would be known as the UMA represented the end of and the unwelcome death to the trademark sound of A Tribe Called Quest. This was also a song that kind of rubbed some people the wrong way because released in 1996, not only did it not have the jazzy leanings of a song like Oh My God or, or Electric Relaxation, you know, singles from the previous album, but also they had a R&B hook on the single, Tammy Lucas singing on Once Again. So I understand why this might have rubbed people the wrong way. But again, approaching this from a production standpoint, go and and look into what the sample was on Once Again. The way that this was chopped and flipped and manipulated into becoming the beat that it is, is mind-blowing. It 
was absolutely stellar. And it's so crazy. This was so relatively early in JD's music career. It must have been insane. I can't even imagine what it would have been like to be working with your heroes, to be tapped by Q-Tip to provide production for one of your favorite group's albums. It, it's it's absolutely insane. And, you know, the song was nominated for a Grammy Award for Best Rap Performance by a Duo or Group uh, at the 39th Grammy Awards in 1997. So, again, I'm not saying that this is an obscure 12-inch that nobody knows about, but... I will say that because of all of the baggage and the hangups that surrounded this era of everyone's favorite hip hop group, I think that once again is unfairly derided. The beat is insane. I'll also say that I always loved how Fife's verse was shaped around the vocal sample in the beat. There's those breaks where the, aha, yeah, y'all. You know, he was he was writing to work around those things, which I think is a very underrated component of the beat and, and the songwriting process. It is just one of my all-time favorites. I remember seeing the music video for this song, and it absolutely captured my imagination. And without even knowing who was involved in producing it or what the story was behind it, I was like, this the murky sounds and the way that like the little elements of the sample would like bubble out and you've got that crazy sounding bass line on there. I still don't truly understand how this beat was made. I, I know the sample. I've studied it. It's another one of those. I don't understand how this is being done. And that is going to give that means a lot for me in putting together a list. So number two was once again, by a Tribe Called Quest. Now, we're moving into the 2000s now with my next pick, and I have a few that are all from the same year. Although the actual release or time that this was recorded is a little hazy, but for pick number three, I'm going to continue the Tribe lineage here, and I'm going with Slum Village's Hold Tight Remix. Now, it is not... The, uh, I'll just play you the beat. Niggas in the game is getting too slimy. Lava to make this peace, brother, turn grimy. I'ma leave it in the hands of the slum now. Take it away from where it comes from now. A lot of you cats in the music business. Shiftless, I put you on the shit list. Did your intuition say the shit on me? I'ma just flip careers. Yo, you hear me, B? D'Angelo, play your piano. JD, flip another beat for me. Hold tight with my tear and my nigga T3. Bust a bust, watch. Now, being the absolute tribe stand that I am, there was a period in time where I pretty much was buying any record that I could find that had a Q-tip verse or appearance or production on it. And I don't know for sure that that's what led me to buy Slum Village's Fantastic Volume 2 originally. There were a few factors that were happening, obviously, amongst the circles of the internet and also uh, just music listening circles that I was tapped into. There was a lot of high praise that was being put onto this album. I also know that even outside of the Q-tip feature, looking at the other features on the album, that definitely would have caught my eye. And of course, Questlove's very vocal endorsement of the record and the group also without a doubt, played a hand in deciding whether or not I was going to listen to this record, and it's what made me pick it up. So when I picked up Fantastic Volume 2, Hold Tight was one of the first songs. I might have skipped right to it because I wanted to hear the Q-tip verse. And man, there's a great Q-tip verse, and it's sort of this State of the Union passing of the torch to Slum Village. This was around the time, or maybe right after, that Tribe had announced that they were breaking up after the love movement. And I really enjoyed it. And then, years later, for me, I think this was floating around in various iterations. They put out Fantastic Volume 2.1, 
which was a reissue of Fantastic Volume 2 that was put out, I believe, in 2010. And so it was commemorating the 10th anniversary of the album. There were some differences in the track listings. There's a lot of different versions of Fantastic Volume 2, depending on which pressing you're looking at, which record label put it out. But this was a version that had different versions of some of the songs, remixes, alternate beats. There were uh, different skits as well. There were some songs that were not on this version that were on the original, and then it also had some ones that weren't on the MCA-released Fantastic Volume 2. But whoa, when I listened to this new version and I heard the remix, as it was called, of Hold Tight, I was blown away. It's not, in comparison to the last two beats that I mentioned, it's not necessarily on some, whoa, how was this made? In many ways, it's just the combination of the right sounds and the right sample sources that really give this song its character. They really give this song its flavor, I guess you could say. And when I was hearing this song, I instantly, something inside of me was just like, nah, this is too perfect. Like, I know that this is being listed as the remix, but yo, this remix is way, way better than the original version. In my mind, there was no question about it. And this became, for me, the default version of the song. As far as I was concerned, my listening to the original version plummeted as soon as I had this one available. And that was further validated for me when in 2022, the first episode of The Questions as a podcast, once we stopped doing it as live streams, this was, well, hold on, let me, let me back this up. We were still doing them as live streams, but it was when we were officially putting them out like in real time or semi-real time as podcast episodes. So the very first episode of The Questions as a podcast in its proper form was a live stream that I did with Dan Charnas and Frank Nitt. And you guessed it, it was an all Jay Dilla themed episode and game and conversation. And it was done to promote the release of Dilla Time. And I believe it was prior to actually hitting record. This might have been when we were all speaking before we went live. I said something to Frank, and I sort of quietly suggested or put forth the idea, my, my theory, that the Hold Tight remix on Fantastic Volume 2.1 I just had this strong feeling that it it must have been the original. And Frank fucking confirmed that. He said, yes, this one did come before the one that wound up on volume two. Now, I don't know or I don't remember why it is that it wound up getting changed and why they didn't wind up using this. But the pocket of the drums is incredible on this, particularly of how it fits to the verses, which is why I sort of suspected that this must have been the one that came first. Now, I'm going to throw a different loophole in here and say that we all also recently learned that much of the songs on Fantastic Volume 2 were songs that the members of Slum Village recorded to a click track with no beat at all, and that then Dilla created a beat around the vocals, which is absolutely fucking insane. But I have to say, whether or not that was the case for this version of Hold Tight, I definitely feel like the way the pocket of the drums fits the verses that, I, I again, I'm going to have to lean into my intuition here. I feel that they must have written their rhymes to this beat, or at least Q-Tip must have. Um, the pocket of the drums, that guitar loop is so hypnotizing. It sounds like something to me that's been like slowed down, which is a trick that Uh, JD was using frequently in songs around this era. This song is fantastic, no pun intended. And I think that it's sort of relegation to reissue, remix, you know, fodder. I think that's why it doesn't get its just due. This is without a doubt to me, the superior version of the song, you know, 
you don't agree with me, we, we can have words about this, but this is the definitive version of Hold Tight to me, and that's why it's making the list. Number four, also in the year 2000, it is Black Star, that's most deaf, now known as Yasin Bey and Talib Kweli's song, Little Brother, on the soundtrack uh, from the Denzel Washington film, Hurricane. We rap the ain't gods, ain't nobody can't start Nobody like us, we crush the faint hearts I'm haunted the same marks Walking the main blocks, painted with blood is still hot So deep in stained socks The pain sparks, frustration, situations lead to hate Masterclass in chopping If you are at all up on some of the same circles of media and information that I am and that I guess I contribute to with this show, you might be familiar with, there was a big campaign that was going on maybe uh, like a decade ago or so where Questlove was consistently singing the praises of Jay Dilla's production on this song. For those who don't know, uh, it's a Roy Ayers sample. Uh, the song's called Ain't Got No Time. I'm, I'm sample snitching a little here, but again, this is pretty well documented. Uh, anyway, Roy Ayer's song, Pete Rock had sampled it for an interlude years back, and Jay Dilla would recreate Pete Rock beats as homage and also as sort of just training. Uh, it's something that is one of those things, you know, a lot of times as a producer, I can say you'll hear a song and you'll be like, oh, I think I know what happened here. I think I can see how this was made, but the act of actually reproducing and attempting to get the results yourself uh, can be revealing. It can be eye-opening. I know when I first got an MPC 2000 XL, one of the first things that I did, this song doesn't make the list here, but I wanted to remake the J-Lib beat for stars. And I found the sample and I looped it up and I did an okay job. This was like really early in my, uh, you know, beat making on the MPC. So there were still some things that I didn't know how to do, but it can be very useful just like in any other instrument. When you're learning to play, it can be um, instructive to learn how to play other people's songs. It can be useful when you make beats to play other people's beats. In fact, I'm going to drop the audio here for my stars replay. So anyway, this is a interlude that Pete Rock had made that Jay Dilla had recreated, and I think that it got put onto a demo tape, uh, a beat tape, and Blackstar wound up recording to the actual two-track of the beat, meaning that they didn't get the stems, they didn't get any of the arrangement of the beat. They basically just took what was on the beat tape and recorded a song directly to it, I want to say that I had read that Jay Dilla was kind of upset about it at the time because he didn't want Pete Rock to feel like he was trying to undermine him or, you know, do anything weird by him. But what's really notable about this production is the incredibly intricate chopping that Dilla was able to do. There is talking uh, throughout the original sample and the sort of surgical micro-chopping that Dilla was able to do to work around that talking is, it, it's pretty mind-blowing. And it's one of those things, I think there might be some videos that exist out there that visually demonstrate how this was made. I know, again, that Questlove has done a really good job at campaigning for this song and talking about why it deserves some more attention than it gets. Again, this was not a single. This was, uh, for all intents and purposes, like a B-side or a soundtrack song that was on, uh, you know, it's not like Hurricane was like a huge, huge film and the soundtrack wasn't, you know, 
time defy defining you know crazy mild marker in culture but for those who know they know that this is a really crazy replay and a really crazy recreation and I would dare even say it takes what Pete Rock did and improves upon it with the intricacy and so that's why the song Little Brother perhaps an inspiration for the group Little Brother I don't know (laughs) they definitely were fancying themselves as the little brothers to a lot of the native tongues, but I don't know if this song specifically played a part in that, but that is why the song little brother is a hundred percent in my top 10 underrated, uh, Jay Dilla productions. I also believe that black star performed this song with the roots on the tonight show or maybe late night with Jimmy Fallon. I don't remember. Uh, I think it was late night with Jimmy Fallon. Um, uh, yeah. Really, really cool moment in one of those, whoa, I can't believe this is happening on late night TV. Uh, but that's sort of uh, been something that we've all become desensitized uh, to at this point. But yeah, Little Brother, number four. Moving on to number five, also from the year 2000, it's De La Souls Through Your City. Oh, 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 oh. For him and her Knocking on your radio Like the trash crew Ask whoever you want I'm managing the funk This song is on De La Soul's AOI Mosaic Thump album It is the only song On the record That is produced by Jay Dilla You know, I always find it funny That JD played a really big part in the sound of De La Soul, but it sometimes is a bit overstated. People will say that, oh yeah, Stakes is High, that's that's the, the album where, where Dilla and De La Soul teamed up. He actually only did the title track, and this is the only song on this album that uh, JD produced, and I believe he only has like one song on Bionics, I believe it's Peer Pressure is the only one. And then, yeah, he's got a a few, a handful on uh, the grind date. But anyway, this is a really crazy beat as well. Now, I'll put in the caveat, I love De La Soul, one of my favorite groups. I don't know that this is the best De La Soul song. Just as a song, the hook, the chorus, kind of, uh, I, I could take it or leave it. And it doesn't necessarily represent like the pinnacle of De La Soul's rapping ability. But man, man, this beat is crazy. It's a great sample. He didn't do a lot to it. It honestly is just a very, very dope loop that he was able to build a song around. But it's, I I really enjoy, this was sort of, I would say a predecessor to, you have to understand that there's different chapters in the career of JD, right? Um, and everything that was listed up to this point was sort of more of the, I would say like JD slash Uma sound that was characterized by a lot of elements, many of which would go on to be the calling cards for what they would call Neo soul, right? You had the Rhodes piano, you had the, the hand claps, uh, sometimes as the only, you know, percussive element on the two and the four or sometimes layered with the snare. Um, You had a lot of the filtery sounds. This is sort of more leaning into what would become a new iteration, especially one that would sort of take the center stage when JD would rebrand himself as J Dilla. And it's not because I'd say this has more of a synthetic sound, but again, that's actually because of the sample. I don't think from what I can remember or understand that there's a lot of like replaying or actual synthesizers used in this beat, but it does sort of represent what was going to be the next iteration. And that was something that I really always loved. And I think it's one of the greatest things about JD is that he wasn't afraid to reinvent his sound 
and to start new chapters that weren't complete betrayals or like disavowals of what he had done before, but he didn't seem like somebody who was content to retread older material or older sounds or older, you know, sonic pathways. And this is just, you know, for lack of a better word, it's just a slapper. Again, the song might not necessarily be in my top 10 or my top 20 De La Soul songs, but the beat is really dope. It remains one of my favorites. And I don't think that this one gets brought up much, not in the sort of catalog of JD beats and certainly not in the JD De La Soul collection. So De La Soul's Three City got to be on there. This is my list. These are my underrated joints. That's what we got. Moving on then to number, what are we on? Two, three, four, five. Number six. On 2004, Slum Village's album, Detroit Deli, the song is called Do You. Here's how I do and what more can I say? Yeah, yeah. Do you? This nigga, I'ma do me. Do you? This nigga, I'ma do me. Do you? This nigga, I'ma do me. Do you? Nigga. Let me attempt to spit this. Assist this with a pen in my fist. I'm swift as sunny listings. Love be quick. There's a lot of. I'm not gonna say there's rules, but there are certain tenets of beat making in hip hop. And we talked about one of them earlier, how, you know, Dilla was recreating the Pete Rock beat or the interlude and how that became a song. I think when it comes to people sampling, there also is a phase that every producer goes through or did. I don't know if this is the case anymore. I don't know what sort of standard or overarching sort of guidelines direct newer producers, younger producers, but... You know, there's a holy grail. There's songs that you feel, or producers feel, can't be touched because they've already been perfected. And I think that some of the greats, and something that has been done over the years, has been the revisiting of the holy grail moments, the things that are so, so closely associated with other songs, uh, past instances of hip-hop producers sampling they almost would seem untouchable and then it kind of becomes a flex of what can you do to it are you going to be able to flip this the sort the the sample the source material in such a way that you can maybe almost i don't know you can make people forget that it was sampled in the past and that is what JD was doing here on this song. Uh, you know, by this point, he was no longer in Slum Village, but his presence on the albums was still definitely um, felt because he was he was contributing a couple joints to every album while he was still alive. And I mean, after he he passed as well, he, he's represented there. But you know, Zaps more bounce to the ounce was such a huge part of so many hip-hop songs from, you know, EPMDs, You Gots to Chill, uh, MC Breeze, Ain't No Future, and your friend, you know, Notorious B.I.G.'s going back to Cali. There were a lot. It's definitely um, a well-traveled path. So for him to be able to flip that in a way that is definitely evident that like nobody's hearing this and being like, oh, well, I wonder what he sampled here. No, like this is definitely the zap moment, but it was so dope to hear it get flipped in this new way. And again, this sort of is happening around the same time. This is 2004, but he's definitely by this point shedding his Soulquarian skin, shedding his uh, Uma skin, right? And now he's moving more into what would eventually become a more realized electro sound. And this is one of those that sort of bridge that gap, I would say. I also got to say, I meant to mention this earlier at the top of the show, I was really disappointed that I wasn't able to make it out to Dilla Day LA uh, 
this past week. I was out of town, but I know Slim Village performed, and I have such an appreciation, even more so after reading this Dilla Time book and just sort of studying up. I really want to have T3 on the show. I feel like he is somebody who has been around through so many iterations of this group and continues to wave the flag for Slum Village, for Detroit, and for ultimately the legacy of, of Jay Dilla. And, you know, I'll be honest, there was a time where I was less interested in Slum Village as a group after the original trio no longer was active. I was always checking for it, but I think there were a few years in my life where I considered there to be a definitive moment, and then everything else was sort of like a footnote. And I have to say that seeing the tenacity and seeing how Slum Village as an entity, even though the personnel has changed so many times, that they have continued to put out records and that they have continued to sort of remain true to what the sound was, but also do new iterations of what the 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 brand of SV could be. It really has made me respect T3 more. So I'm this is me putting it out there, you know, verbalizing it. I'm maybe manifesting it. I got to get T3 on the show. I want to like seriously geek out with somebody who was there for so much of it. Um, I've had the pleasure and the honor to speak with a lot of people who were, you know, players, no pun intended, in the JD Slum Village story. But man, dude is like a, a living treasure right now, having been there through every step of the way. So anyway, that's my long rant. But Shout out to Do You. Do You is definitely an underrated joint because I think in the same way that I would have that tendency to maybe hold the later SV material in less of a in, in a in a lower regard, I think a lot of people tend to do that too. And I'm saying it now that that is a mistake. <laughs> like this is really really good music, and while I understand the tendency to tour to like gravitate towards one of the greater producers, not just of the group, but of all time, I would say. I know I have some friends who take umbrage when I say that, but, uh, you know, let it be known. JD, J. Dilla, best hip-hop producer of all time. We can talk about it, but, you know, we've got a lot of evidence in my corner. But I, anyway, all that is to say, I understand why it's easy to discount the material that he's not involved in, but you're really doing yourself a a big disservice if you're not checking out the other stuff. And just to be real, you're still getting some JD beats like this one on Detroit Deli and, and others on uh, the other albums around this time. Also, shout out to Villa Manifesto. That was the last one that was recorded when Batin was still alive and uh, has some great uh, Dilla production and some great chemistry uh, amongst all of the original members. So, all right, we're going to move on to number seven. Are we on? Yeah, number seven from 2007. It's Nasty Ain't It by Fat Cat. Between the whole scene and drug money, drama that my soul seen. Looking through an old screen while we grow green. So I alluded to the fact that there was this new iteration or this new chapter that Dilla was moving towards. And for me, this is definitely part of that like more electro sound. It's such an aggressive beat. I love the way that it just comes in. I love beats that just start. You know, a lot of times there's a tendency in arrangements for producers to let it build. And I think that there is some real value in having a beat that just smacks you in the face. This was a beat that I had heard on beat tapes that were circulating around this time. I also remember that there was on an early, maybe bootleg version of J Love Japan. I don't really know the full story about the different versions of the releases, but there was a version of this beat that had uh, Jack Davey from Jay Davey uh, on it. Um, but for all intents and purposes, this is the definitive version of this beat. The Fat Cat album is really, really good. This uh, album 
was put out in 2007. It's called Carte Blanche, and it features a few J. Dilla productions, um, as well as some really dope contributions from like Young RJ and Black Milk. Um, it, it's it's really really dope. But again, I feel like this is sort of an underrated pocket of the J. Dilla catalog. And I think when it comes to Fat Cat Productions. Uh, they probably are going to be quicker to cite Don't Nobody Care About Us, um, which is a great beat. But for me, I really, really enjoyed this new version, this new iteration of what Dilla was doing um, in this era and sort of towards the end of his life that, that you know, very aggressive and very sort of synth-driven electro sound uh it's just great. It's not, it's not the last and it's not the only iteration of like a different style uh, chapter that, that Dilla would do, but it's really good. Uh, and it's got a JD hook on it as well. Uh, you know, it's, this is definitely an underrated one. And for me, it just, it showed beats like this basically showcase why Dilla was not a one trick pony because this does not really sound anything like some of the earlier songs that I listed in this list. They could, they very well have completely different sonic identities and you wouldn't be mistaken if you didn't know to attribute them to different people, different human beings. But for me, this one is definitely, definitely underrated and hard hitting and I like it. <laughs> that's the only criteria i don't have a lot to say about this one so we're going to move on to number eight from 2008 this one was also a single it's off q-tips the renaissance album and the song is called move I'm just a brother man descending of the motherland I fuck with blackberries and dimes of butter tans Good on my right hand, trouble on my other hand Life is a tight rope, I'm dying to balance in And by the end, hopefully I'll be the balanced man A simple dude who can exude the talents in I am the captain of the hot-blooded caravan I remember hearing the beat for this before it was the Q-Tip song This was another one that was circulating on the beat tapes And I want to say again that unofficial sponsor of this episode, Questlove. <laughs> I want to say that he maybe posted this on his MySpace. Shout out to the days of MySpace. What, what an era. But he posted this beat uh, to his MySpace, and it was definitely like another moment of like, whoa, this guy is really doing something crazy. I would say that this, this beat falls into another one of the latter-day categorizations of J. Dilla production. And this is more of what like could be called like the Motown sound or definitely the, I guess, I guess more so going with simplicity. I think that Dilla was definitely influenced and was influential too but he was also influenced by Madlib. And I think around this time when he had moved out to LA, Dilla was kind of doing a lot of like Madlib type things in terms of the way he would produce. And this is definitely one of them in that it's just chops. It's really just basically chops and taking material and doing it in that sort of winking way. If like, if a song like Do You was knowingly using a zap sample and freaking it in a different way, this is taking the material and not doing, you know, like for, for a song like Once Again that we mentioned earlier or for like Farside's Drop, this is taking sample material and masking it so thoroughly that it would be very difficult to identify. And even when you know what the sample material is, it still is difficult to understand what the hell is going on. Whereas a song like what would become the beat for Q-Tips Move very evidently samples the Jackson 5's Dancing Machine. But it becomes more so not just freaking it and doing it in a way that provides a new twist on what should feel ultimately very familiar, but there's also a little bit of comedy or sort of, uh, I guess, I guess sort of 
ingenuity, but done in a comical way of taking the Michael Jackson vocal and basically, you know, let's just say what it is. He's basically making it sound like Michael Jackson is throwing up or, or vomiting almost. The way that the chops and the stretches are being done is really funny to hear, but also extremely dope. Like this is not a joke record. Um, and then to have Q-Tip make what is such a really dope song over it was really cool. Uh, the, on the record, you know, there's the single version of the, uh, of the song Move, and it has a Jackson 5-themed, uh, uh, you know, music video motif as well. Um, but on the record, this song is one of those where it's, like, split into two. There's... Uh, move but then there's also renaissance rap which is in and of itself uh an homage to uh jd as well we're not talking about that but i'm just talking about how it generally was put together on the record but move is 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 really great and as like what feels like one of the last moments you know I want to say that this might have been recorded after uh, JD had passed. So I don't know if it's necessarily like the last collaboration with Q-Tip and Dilla, but you know, Dilla became such an instrumental, no pun intended part of Q-Tip and tribe sound that if tip puts out another record, I feel like it's going to need, it, it won't feel right if it doesn't have a Dilla production on it. He was such a pivotal part to his story and, and vice versa that it just felt good to have one final song of them together coming so closely on the heels of Dilla's passing. Um, yeah, this is an amazing song. It's a really amazing beat just on a technical level for him to even think to do it, let alone to pull it off. So Move definitely belongs on my list of top 10 underrated Jay Dilla productions. We got two more left. 2009. It's most deaf from his ecstatic album, and the song is called History, featuring Talib Kweli. Science is a joke. For me and mine's yours and yo. Let's smoke. Say a little bit about my y'all. I was born in a season where the world was quiet and cold Celebrations were going on Some were happy, some were sad Some felt bad from being This is again coming from a similar Motown, choppy Now when I say Motown, I'm not necessarily saying that all of these songs were Motown records I think that he was doing that There is a beat tape that might have been erroneously titled Motown, or, or maybe that was the official name of the beat tape. But really what it is, is just that he was taking soul records and doing these sort of chop style replays, or not replays, but just uh, reimaginations of them and just dealing. It's sort of like meat and potatoes, bare bones, like all I need is this record and I'm going to chop it up and put some drums on it. And this is going to be, you know, super dope. And it was. Uh, this one has a really cool, um, sort of chop in terms of the word like history, um, being used on the record and then, uh, black star basically doing a song based around that, uh, that, that theme. Um, this was also in a time when there wasn't a lot of black star, you know, this was a, this was definitely over a decade deep, maybe even, yeah, well, yeah, it's like a decade deep into the, are they ever going to make another record again? They did wind up making another record. A lot of people didn't hear it because it didn't have wide distribution because it was put behind the luminary paywall for the second Black Star album. So to have the two of them show up on a record together was a big deal. I remember also getting Talib Kweli's Quality album and being super excited that there was a song that featured the two of them and then being a little disappointed that it was actually just most Def doing the hook. Um, what was the name of that song? It was called... Uh, uh, I just remembered the chorus. I know how you feel. Uh, the song was called Joy. Yeah, it was called Joy, and it was produced by Ayatollah, and yeah, I was a little disappointed in the fact that, you know, it sort of was a Black Star song, but it wasn't really. Um, but this is a great song. This is a really dope flip. Um, 
you know, it's both the MCs sort of getting reminiscent and a little wistful about the passage of time, which is something that definitely rang true, particularly in this time where Dilla's passing was still somewhat fresh, not to retread a lot of the themes that we have talked about in this episode, but there was a really cool moment where they performed this song on Late Night with Jimmy Fallon. They performed with uh, members of Dirty Projectors where they were actually like singing the sample flip live, which was really crazy. Uh, it was a really cool moment. I'll see if I can put some of the audio in. If not, you got to find it. It's it's in deep pockets of the internet somewhere. Um, but yeah, it, this was just a really, really cool moment. Uh, I, I, we're going to do a podcast about it someday. The Ecstatic is such a great Most Def album. It, I think it was, there are certain days where it's my favorite Most Def album. I actually prefer it even to uh, Black on Both Sides, which I know is a crazy statement, but sometimes uh, I feel pretty strong about that. So that's why history is on there. It is just a really, really dope moment. And uh, yeah, definitely underrated. That brings me to number 10, released in 2016. It was on Fife Dog's final album, released early as a single. The song was called Nutshell. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Hey, yo, bus, let me get it back one, nigga. <laughs> yo, Fife Dog is in the building. Uh-huh. Red Man is in the building. Uh-huh. Buster Rhymes in the building. Remix. <laughs> The rebirth of the reborn as I rebuild Reconnect with this rebel, redefining raw skill I realign, readjusted, refocus, reanalyze What's real versus bullshit Had to refuel, reactivate, to reemerge, reevaluate Now, this song was also released again in 2022 as Nutshell Part 2 It was like the remix, same beat And also featured Busta Rhymes and Redman So... Fife was definitely waving the flag pretty hard and heavy for Dilla. You know, obviously, while Q-Tip might have had more material under his belt with uh, with Dilla, it definitely would be a mistake to discount the fact that they were all really close and they all, you know, were there at such pivotal times in each other's lives. Um, Fife had released a, a tribute song to Dilla in, I want to say like 2014, called Dear Dilla. Um, so, you know, there was definitely a lot of love there. And for him to use one of Dilla's beats, this definitely sounds like an earlier beat. I can't really tell you a lot about it because I don't have the information. But this sounds earlier to me. And by this point, I think a lot of Dilla's catalog and unfinished or unreleased production was being mined and supplied to people. And this was a trusted source. This wasn't like one of those things where, to my knowledge, that, you know, somebody just uh, unsanctioned or, or used used a Dilla beat in an unsanctioned way. But um, Nutshell is really good. You know, it. I think this one is underrated just in that there wasn't a lot of promo behind it because obviously by the time it was released and really out there, the the second one, you know, it was both of the main contributors to the record were no longer with us, which is a real tragedy. Um, but to me, the reason that I'm including this is not just because I think it's a bit unheralded and and it's dope, but it also sort of just signifies the fact that I really do think that Dilla's music is timeless and that so many of these beats, this song came out in the late, you know, teens, I guess, like 2016 and then uh, released again in 2022. I wouldn't be surprised if this beat is from the early to mid 90s. And it still packed so much of a punch. It was so potent. And I just really like that one of these, the, the way that I'm ending this is still keeping things in the tribe, no pun intended. You know, so, there's so much overlapping in a lot of the songs that I have here where you have different Slum Village, you know, contributions, different uh, iterations of tribe and its members. Uh, you know, we've got different um, members of Black Star 
it, he, you know, Dilla didn't have like a huge, huge net in terms of who he contributed with. The reason why people love his material so much is because of the library that he built with a lot of the same people. He wasn't somebody like a, a Timbaland or, or a Swizz Beats or somebody who had a really wide range of people and was the go-to hired gun who would do your single. He, you know, a lot of these songs, while there were singles, a lot of these songs were album cuts. It wasn't just about creating singles and, and unit shifters, unit movers. It was about creating a body of work. It was about creating songs and an aesthetic that would define a sound and that would define the character of an artist's music that couldn't necessarily, that's not always what happens just from singles. Artists will have big singles and they might be timestamps and markers in time, but that doesn't necessarily signify what the artist's actual identity was. And Dilla wasn't just good at creating his own sonic identity, but also helping the other artists that he worked with develop their own sound. That's where I'm, you know, that, that, that that's where I'm, I'm, I'm tapping out here. Um, this is a rare fully solo by your boy. Uh, we're going to be getting back to regular business soon. Uh, as I said, things have been a little hectic, a little crazy, but we're going to keep things moving. Uh, you know, I talked about a lot of this uh, in the last episode on the Patreon, and we'll be revealing more about what is going on in the world of the questions and the world of my own world uh, soon. But definitely let me know. Tell me what your favorite Dilla tracks, what your favorite underrated songs are, what do you think is great, what on this list makes you makes you bristle and, and get upset and shout at your podcasting device. I want to know it all. I'll be back next week with another episode. Shout out to the Stony Island Audio Network. Shout out to Midas the Beast and Czarism for making this show's theme song. Shout out to the Questions Patreon Appreciate the crew, appreciate the squad. We're almost at 100 members. I'll, I'll go ahead and put it out there. You need to get with the crew because you're missing out on all sorts of exclusives and dope things if you're not a member. But shout out to everybody who is. Please, if you enjoy the show, can you leave a review as well as a five-star rating on the podcast platform of your choice? It's been real slow with the new reviews on the Apple Podcasts, and I'd love to see some more of those. So I know that this thing is still on. I see the numbers. I see the downloads each week, so I know that it's still on. But, you know, a little reciprocation would be cool. Anyway, appreciate you. Thanks for listening. Jay Dilla, we love you. See you next week. Stony Island Audio.